Hey, Lisa. Good morning, Brian. Nice to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice. How are things in Washington, D.C.? We're doing fine. We're working with and welcoming in a brand new Congress for the 118th session. So that's always exciting. It is. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about over these next two uh, parts of this episode, which we are calling Policy Victories for Catholic Healthcare in 2022. And then the next segment, we'll be looking ahead of, about advocacy priorities for the Congress in the next couple of years. So why don't we go ahead and get started with this uh, first part of the episode? You ready? Yes, absolutely. This is Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association. I'm your host, Brian Reardon, and joining me for this episode is Lisa Smith. She's Vice President of Advocacy and Public Policy for the Catholic Health Association. Again, welcome, Lisa. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And we're going to be talking to you uh, at the start of uh, this part and the second part of this episode. And we're also going to be having a couple of colleagues join us. Paula Pontemeyer, he's Senior Director of Government Relations for the Catholic Health Association, will be joining us in just a moment. And then in the next episode, we're going to hear from another colleague. But let's start off with um, looking backwards. Again, looking at the last Congress, uh, as folks hopefully know, uh, they kind of count the Congress uh, every two years because of the way the House of Representatives, all House members, are up for election every two years. So we are starting a brand new Congress for those keeping track at home. It's the 118th. But looking back on the last Congress, uh, they sort of ended the year with a lot of activity around what was called the Omnibus Bill. Um, so Lisa, I guess just kind of start there and set the context. What is the Omnibus Bill uh, and why should we in Catholic healthcare care about it? Well, the Omnibus Bill um, really was uh, a, a year-in wrap-up of both all the funding to fed, fund the federal government and federal programs across the board, as well as included uh, major uh, legislation and provisions that would really uh, address some of the critical health and community needs, as well as some key issues uh, for Catholic health providers and the the those low income and community needs across the country. Yeah, and I read an article recently that really described the bill as almost a healthcare bill because there were so many healthcare provisions in there. Can you give a real broad overview of some of the areas that touched healthcare in the bill? Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, CHA, we were really kind of pushing on uh, a number of key issues, both the addressing the community health needs as well as some of the continued financial and workforce challenges that uh, healthcare providers across the country were facing. Um, specifically, there was in place a 4% cut in Medicare reimbursement across the board that was about $36 billion in cuts um, to providers that would have taken effect at the end of 2022. And these cuts really would have been devastating uh, to local healthcare providers that are, and our members uh, as well, that have been facing incredible financial strains. Um, and so that uh, cut was eliminated so that we are not having to wrestle with additional cuts. There was also a two-year extension of uh, provision that we had been advocating for, which allows telehealth um, 
access in communities across our country under the Medicare program that really goes to enhancing access uh, to needed healthcare services in some of the especially low income and rural communities. And then there was also substantial investments for mental health and substance abuse treatment um, in, and increased uh, funding for programs to address the healthcare workforce shortages of doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals that we're seeing both in our hospitals and in our long-term care facilities. So it really was quite a comprehensive piece of legislation that was enacted into law. Yeah, I know there's a lot more. And so let's uh, turn over to one of our colleagues uh, who was worked on this bill and has uh, maybe some more specifics on different provisions, particularly around Medicaid and what have you. Uh, so let's welcome Paula Pontemeyer. He's Senior Director of Government Relations at CHA. Hey, Paula, good to have you back on the show. Hi, thanks for thanks for having me. All right, so let's start with Medicaid. What, what happened with the Medicaid program under this legislation? Sure, with Medicaid, uh, we really have been pushing uh, for this bill to essentially do a lot more for the program. A lot of the time when these larger bills come together, Medicaid is always overlooked. And so we were really pleased to see that this bill did a couple of things in the Medicaid program. Uh, one thing that we really um, are looking at very closely was that they made some changes to the continuous coverage requirement that was put in place as part of Families First. And these were coronavirus um, bills to really get the country back in 2020 uh, to essentially come up with a response to, to help states help uh, individuals, children and families who would be losing coverage as part of, you know, the uh, effect on the economy with job loss and, and other pieces. And so these bills um, early on were put in place to protect the coverage that they would be losing. And so as part of this, there is a continuous coverage requirement, meaning that people in these programs would not be kicked out um, unless there were some uh, instances that were met, you know, moving out of state or, you know, the death of the beneficiary. And so the omnibus bill put forward a end date, ending these um, covered, continuous coverage requirements on March 31st. But because Congress did not want to uh, have massive beneficiary coverage loss, they also put in place uh, uh, guardrails to ensure that as states began their redetermination process, families, um, individuals, and children would be protected. And so uh, states, as part of their work um, to begin these redeterminations process, would have to meet certain guidelines, uh, certain data requirements, and certain um, you know protections in place. I think some of these guardrails are pieces that CHA has been very supportive of. This includes language that compels states to utilize all existing public databases to ensure that the correct information uh, for beneficiaries, their addresses, their phone numbers and emails were, were made. And also, uh, this is really big, uh, not to disenroll anyone on the basis of returned mail, as long as that state was doing everything it can to connect or, or to contact that beneficiary. And so we were really happy to see that. I know that over the last year, Medicaid redeterminations has been an important part of our members' work. And so we want to just make sure that Again, the states, as they do, do the best work that they can to ensure that beneficiaries do not lose their coverage. We did a whole episode on the Medicaid redetermination. We have our protect, what, protect What's Precious toolkit 
uh, that is available if you go to our website. Just click on the Medicaid tab, and that's on the front page, and there's a lot of good resources that we're hoping our members and others will use to really get the word out about the fact that people are going to have to watch their mail and, uh, in, you know, some states re-enroll for Medicaid so they can continue their coverage. So sticking with Medicaid, let's also talk about there was a maternal health provision. Um, you want to give a little bit of an overview of what happened there? That was something we've been pushing for. Yeah, so over the course of, you know, these last two years, we've really been pushing at the forefront to make one-year postpartum care under the Medicaid program uh, a state, a required state benefit. Um, the American Rescue Plan, which passed in 2021, had it be, uh, had it was made it a temporary program. And so as part of the omnibus bill, we were able to make it a permanent state option. Uh, so this, um, this, this requirement is now being taken up by more than, I mean, close to 30 states. So we're really happy that states have taken up this, this option, but we really want to make sure that all 50 states take up this option. Um, you know, studies have shown that, um, having postpartum care, especially in Medicaid, really reduces the risk of maternal mortality, um, and, you know, increases well-being, especially for those crucial first months after, um, you know, women give birth. And so that's something that we were really happy to see. Um, additionally, in the field of maternal and child health, we were really happy that the one-year continuous eligibility for children in Medicaid and SHIP was included. This was something that CHA has been pushing for, for many years. And so this was something as part of our asks, um, especially now that states are continuing their um, their their march toward Medicaid redetermination. Ensuring that children do not lose coverage for one year is, I think, a really good place to to protect really the most vulnerable uh, populations in Medicaid and CHIP children um, and infants who who rely on these on these programs. And so we were glad to see that. No, and like you said, I think we spent a lot of time and resources in really promoting uh, both of those provisions. So it is. Um reassuring to see that it made it in the legislation. Uh, kudos on the work on that. Um, one last piece in Omnibus, uh, obviously a huge initiative for CHN our members is the We Are Called initiative. That's our effort to uh, address racism by achieving health equity. Um, any health equity uh, provisions in the bill that are worth noting? Yes, uh, this is again, another big win for CHA and the, the members who do this work. Uh, health equity, um, especially in this consolidated appropriations bill, um, has really been all the health equity accounts or accounts that really touch on issues related to the social determinants of health as well have been um, increased, uh, especially, you know, the main arm and the main office coordinating this important work, the Office of Minority Health. We are pleased to see that that office got an additional increase of millions of dollars, which I think especially in this this age where um, everyone is looking to cut government funding. We were glad to see that that particular office was increased. And really, as part of our work in appropriations, we, we've sent letters the last two years um, highlighting some important programs that we, I think, along with Catholic Charities, have earmarked as, as really important pieces around health equity. And so we were really glad to see increased funding levels for uh, health equity across the various HHS departments and offices. These include uh, increased funding at the National In Institutes for Health, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the Health Resources Services Administration. And these offices really are on the ground, really doing this work, working with states, working with localities to, to ensure that health equity is seen 
across across the board. We're also really happy to see that as part of this appropriations bill, uh, the maternal and child health block grant was increased as well as the women, infant and children's program that uh, really funds a lot of the work for um, uh, lower income mothers and children as they as they begin kind of their 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 lives in in this country. And so we were really glad to see that. And we were, um, again, doing this in coordination with our colleagues over at Catholic Charities, knowing full well that this is really an all hands on deck approach. Health equity is the is is something that we all need to come together for. And we're grateful that this appropriations bill uh, went went above and beyond with some of the health equity provisions. Yeah. And you mentioned WIC, and I'm glad you did, because I, I didn't see a whole lot of attention on that. Um, can you briefly say, is, is the WIC um, provision, will that actually allow um, women with kids to, to have more to spend at the grocery store for on, on, you know, will it address food insecurity, I guess? Yes, it would, because I think that this increased funding um, in WIC would mean that uh, an additional 6.2 million women, infants, and children would be able to to get kind of the services that they need um, in co- coordination with, you know, the increases in in SNAP. Uh, this means that more more individuals, families, and children would have access to nutrition benefits, which we we do a lot of work, uh, thankfully, as part of our social determinants of health um, portfolio with Catholic Charities to ensure that Congress sees this. Right. Let's go to a couple other topics uh, that weren't in the omnibus bill, but actually were passed uh, in this last Congress. And I want to start with an issue that unfortunately is is all too often in the headlines, and that is uh, gun violence. Uh, there was legislation uh, that maybe didn't go again as far as some people would have liked, but there, there was some bipartisan, I guess it was the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Can you share a little bit about um, what that does and, and maybe what more needs to be done. Sure. The Bipartisan Safer Communities Act came together because of the unfortunate uh, gun violence tragedies that happened all throughout last year. Uh, one um, that happened really at one of our facilities um, back in June. And so we were uh, really pleased to see that Congress came together and put together this um, gun safety bill um, that really talked about what they could do to um, support states as they work on their crisis interventions, um, really issues around violence interruption, um, really talking about how to uh, protect victims of domestic violence. And one of the, the great things about this bill is, like many things here in D.C., it was also another health bill. And as part of this bill, um, there was an increase in resources for behavioral health, especially for children and family and mental health services that, um, you know, that, that address these. I think one of the programs that we've really pushed for in the last couple of years was this idea of the Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinic um, that under the Medicaid program is a demonstration program, but this time it actually has been expanded to all states. Um, we were really happy to see that. It was really only... Um, uh, re- relegated to a couple states, but this time it made it national. And we also were really happy to see that there were some funds put in place to address school-based mental health, especially as they relate to, uh, you know, the relationship between state Medicaid programs. And we know that this is important for students, especially as we address this epidemic of the youth mental health crisis that we've, we've also been um, 
in coalition with with other groups here in Washington, D.C. Last topic, and then I want to bring Lisa in again, and that is uh, environmental sustainability, which is something very important to our members. Uh, We've obviously been talking about the Laudato Sea Action Platform. Uh, That's uh, Pope Francis's call to, uh, again, protect the planet. And there was actually some very, very positive news that got a lot of attention, and that was the IRA or the Inflation Reduction Act uh, for healthcare. And I know we just did a webinar on this, but briefly, uh, what will we see out of that legislation as it gets implemented that will benefit directly uh, our work around uh, environmental sustainability? Sure. So, yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act was also another big win for us. Um, included in this were really historic investments to address climate change and promote clean energy. Many of our members are already committed to reducing their carbon footprint and also working to put in pol- put in place policies that uh, you know are allowing them to be more sustainable, to be more environmentally friendly, and to also promote kind of green um, green initiatives. We also know that the Inflation Reduction Act is even beyond our members, a larger uh, societal investment in addressing um, environmental justice. Um, Included in this bill are different grant programs and as well as different policies put in place to address pollution in areas that for the longest time um, were uh, lived in by people who uh, did not have the the resources to, to fight the pollution issues that were detrimental to their health. And so we were really glad to see that. Um, as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, um, and really want to say this before moving on, is there was also another healthcare provision in there. As you mentioned earlier, a lot of these bills always have a healthcare bent. And one of the big pieces in that IRA was uh, the extension of the enhanced ACA subsidies. These enhanced subsidies make it so that more families would qualify for more government sharing of health insurance, making it more affordable. And we've seen that in the last couple of years that these subsidies have been put in place, increased access and affordability for millions more families. And so a lot of different wins across all these three bills uh, that I had mentioned. And so, you know, they, there's a lot of really great things that CHA continues to, to advocate for, especially for the poor and vulnerable. Yeah, Paulo, uh, I got to say, in 15 minutes, you did an awesome job of, of summarizing a lot of really important uh, milestones and, like you said, wins. So, uh, Lisa, uh, you got to be feeling pretty good, you and the team in D.C., about what we were able to accomplish. I don't think we, we sit around and, and, you know, pat ourselves on the back about that, but it is nice to, to get a recap. And um, any sort of uh, general takeaway from this, this last Congress, would you say overall it was successful for Catholic Healthcare or anything you want to add uh, to kind of wrap this conversation up? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we can't take credit for all of it. We were certainly engaged um, in a lot of the, and, and leading a lot of the number, large number of the provisions that Paulo has run through but also worked in partnerships with other national organizations and certainly the engagement of our membership across the country um, has had a huge impact. You know, the last bill that um, Paulo was talking about um, on the uh, IRA, the environmental uh, provisions and and the extension of the subsidies, there was also a huge win um for the first time federal fish uh federal government would be required to negotiate prices for certain prescription drugs under the medicare program which is 
huge. And um, there was also along those uh, to save out-of-pocket costs for uh, seniors and especially low-income seniors that will cap um, at uh, $2,000 overall out-of-pocket spending for seniors. And there was an increase in subsidy for low-income seniors to cap their co-pays, especially on things such as insulin for $35 for those Medicare beneficiaries. So there is just a whole host of um, you know, provisions that we have been uh, advocating for to really enhance um, access and coverage for low-income and, and vulnerable members across the country um, in communities, as well as for our providers that serve them. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to highlight uh, every member that's listening to this, if you send an email sent a letter, made a call, made a visit to a lawmaker, you made a difference. And that really, I think, everything we just went over in the last 20 or so minutes really speaks to how effective advocacy can be. As, as, as our voices are heard, we can affect change. So again, kudos to, to you and the team in D.C. for your work in coordinating that with our members and, like you said, with other organizations. Um, so on the next episode or the next part of this episode, uh, we're going to look forward and look at the challenges. But again, good good summary of what just occurred. So again, I want to thank Lisa Smith. She's the Vice President of Advocacy and Public Policy at CHA. And Paula Pontemeyer. He's Senior Director of Government Relations for CHA. Thank you both for taking time out to talk about the last Congress. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your host, Brian Gruden. Our producer is Josh Matica, and our engineer is Brian Hartman here at Clayton Studios. You can listen to Health Calls on any app where podcasts are available, and you can also visit our website at chausa.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. 